Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Tiana. And this is Next Door Villain. A podcast where we uncover the villains to discover their humanity. Okay, I have a very important question for both of you. Okay. I want to know what Lady Aboshi you are today and why. Okay, here are the options. Number one, you're the Lady Aboshi who wants to do some combat slash knife fighting. Number two, you're the Lady Aboshi who wants to shoot at a god. Number three, you're the Lady Aboshi who feels remorseful and sorry. Or number four, you're the Lady Iboshi who wants to create a thriving town slash place. Tiana, this one's uh, pretty easy for me. I am the Lady Iboshi who uh, is ready for combat and knife fighting. Nice. Which we'll get into a little bit later, I think, because I feel like as we talk about Princess Mononoke, uh, we are going to have some conflicting ideas about... Oh. the film and how much we like it. That's interesting that you know that already. That's just my suspicion. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but... So you're ready to fight. Yes, you're like, I'm ready to... Let's pull out some knives. I'm ready to upset our listeners and... Oh. You're very excited. You, I know you have comments that are just like right at the tip of your tongue. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, okay. All right. That's my answer. I think today I am option number four, the Lady Iboshi who wants to create a thriving town slash place, because I feel like it's just been very tumultuous lately. I mean, there's been COVID. I've moved twice in the past couple of years. I've had like three job changes, and I kind of just want to Dang. thrive and have a little more stability. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's what Lady Iboshi wanted, some stability for her town. So that's good. Um, okay. I am number two. The lady Iboshi who wants to shoot at a god. Um, well, one, that sounds badass. I mean, I know it's not great. But <laughs> one reason why Lady Iboshi shoots at animal gods in the forest spirit is because she wants things to go her way. And the gods try to combat that. Like, she wants the forest the way she wants it to be, not how the gods want it. And I really want my way today. I want things to go my way, even if it means disregarding what the gods or the universe want for me. It's my way or the highway. If I want to do a certain task today, then I will do it and do it my way, even if the universe is like, no, don't do that. That's not a good idea for your future. Or like, I really want to eat shrimp scampi today, so I will eat it at my time in my way. And I will tell someone, even a god, to go away if they stop me from me and my shrimp scampi. Well, Tiana... What I really hope that you do want to do today is to have an in-depth conversation and exploration of Lady Eboshi from the film Princess Mononoke. Is that in your in your desires? Because no. if, if not, you're gonna have a bad you're gonna have a bad time here. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. It is in my desires, so I'm not so upset about that. Yes. And you're going to want to do that, I hope, with a mysterious other woman's voice who has um, appeared on the podcast today, but we uh, neglected to introduce her for reasons that are unclear. Uh, so please 
welcome to the podcast for the second time, Annie. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah, I'm Annie, and I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm a writer and a journalism student, and I'm also a podcast host of Misfits, which is a show where we have conversations about identity with people who felt like they don't fit into their communities. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to be here for the second time. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Annie, uh, you might remember if you're listening from the uh, Oren Ishii episode a while back, and Annie, I think one of the cool things and um, one of the reasons we're excited to have you and one of the reasons I also really enjoy your podcast is in some ways it's very similar to what we do in that you are um, sort of exploring different perspectives, only we're doing it in a silly way with fictional characters and you're doing it in a very um, good way. With real people. Well, I think it's good to do it with villains, too. It's, it's all an exercise in empathy, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for being with us, Annie. And the villain who we're talking about today is... Lady Eboshi. Woo! I don't know if you wanted me to say that or if you were waiting to build suspense. I'm just going to do a brief overview on Lady Eboshi and her role in the film of Princess Mononoke. Since if you're listening, you're probably a fan of Studio Ghibli films. But even then, it still may have been some time since you saw Princess Mononoke. Yep. Came out in 1997, or released at least in the U.S. in 1997. Yes. Lady Iboshi, she is what? A lady? Leader. Yes. <laughs> leader. <laughs> she is the leader of Irontown. She's made the town of Irontown into a powerhouse that produces iron iron Iron. i feel like we're in a class i know (laughs) right i didn't know i'd be quizzed on this podcast so she's a pretty badass leader she's developed iron town she's welcomed lepers as workers and people of the town and she also bought out women who worked at brothels and gave them the opportunity to live thrive and work in iron town Um, So she's definitely someone who really welcomes and supports people from many different walks of life, um, even if they were oppressed and not treated well in other areas or in other places, which is kind of, I think a lot of people agree, is a good thing about Lady Eboshi. But Lady Eboshi needs iron ore to keep her town thriving, and Iron Town makes iron from the ore in the sand. And the town makes weapons, steel, iron. And so she really wants to clear the forest to get more iron ore, which isn't good as it creates conflict between nature and the people of Iron Town. And the animal gods in this movie are not happy about Lady Iboshi's aggressive decimation of the forest. During one of the conflicts, she shot Nago, a boar who ended up getting cursed with hatred and who spread his curse to the main character, Ashitaka. So kind of kind of rough there. But she, you know, and I'm sure you two can agree with me that she's a very assertive, confident leader and fighter who seems like she'll stop at nothing to get iron ore and help her town. And then in this movie, she wants to get the head of the forest spirit or the Shishigami. It's not good <laughs> to try and get the head of the Shishigami or the forest spirit. That's a matter of perspective. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. Right. Right. Joe has thoughts. Yes. And she, I mean, to Lady Boshi, it's very good, right? 
if she can obtain the forest spirit's head, she gets, one, the animals will no longer be gods who can fight back when she overtakes the forest. If that happens, she gets to have a wealthy village with prosperous people who produce iron, like if she can get the forest for herself and shoot off the head of the forest spirit. Two, she gets to gain legal protection of Iron Town. This protection would be granted by the emperor. Three, maybe she can use the head of the forest spirit to cure the lepers because the forest spirit is known to grant immortality. And four, by giving the head to Jigo, who helps her out in this movie, she can repay him for letting her use his riflemen to defend Iron Town from invaders. Jigo will then give the head to the emperor for money. So a lot of financial gain and a lot of protection um, and immortality to be gained by getting the forest spirit's head. Definitely. I always think it's interesting, too, in the, the movie. I'm assuming she's selling the iron to other towns and that's where they're getting their wealth. But it really seems in the movie it's like she's just using the iron to build these weapons. And then the weapons is what she uses to, like, kill the animals to clear the forest. So it's like, are you just creating the cycle? Like, what, what are you gaining <laughs> from this, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good observation. Well, so I, I, and before we dive into our analysis, I'm interested from you two, your like general, how do do you feel about the movie as a whole? Like, is, do you, is this like a movie you enjoy? Is it a movie you don't like? Like, how do you, how do you feel about Princess Mononoke as a whole and the story it tells? We weren't expecting this, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Annie and I like to prepare. No, I mean, is that... Are your feelings complicated or? (laughs) I love the imagery and the art and the fact that this movie is trying to show that not being one with nature can lead to a lot of chaos and destruction that impacts both parties, both nature and humans. I like this movie and a lot of people like this movie because it's kind of relatable to today's issues with climate change. Not totally right, but it's just like, oh, here's a warning that if you try to break down nature, it's going to come back and get you, kind of like how the Black Ooze comes back and tries to get Iron Town. And I'm kind of wondering, maybe this is where Joe is going. It has a very environmental message, but in the end, it, it makes it kind of like, oh, both sides kind of have a point, which is maybe what Joe is going to get yeah. into. Yeah. In, a, in a way that it makes it not entirely like, oh, humans are just destroying the environment and using the resources, they're evil. Therefore, they should be stopped. It's kind of like, well, the, the people needed these resources to thrive. It was a lot of oppressed people, these lepers, these former sex workers that they needed to kind of like thrive and have a, a successful town. And so I think some mm-hmm. people probably like that message because I think the Ghibli movies do a really good job of not having just a black and white good and evil. It's kind of morally ambiguous. But I'm sure some people are like, well, maybe it should have taken a stronger environmental stance. Yeah. So the the, and the reason I wanted to know how you all felt about it is because I I didn't really like the film large largely for those reasons. Yet I struggled, and I did a lot of research. I listened to a lot of other podcasts. I talked to a lot of people I know, and this movie seems to be sort of universally beloved. And it was sort of a struggle to find any sort of critical analysis of the storyline mm-hmm. and what happened. And that is my main gripe with it is I feel like the story is sort of intended to show that there is good and evil on both sides and that like Lady Eboshi is sort of 
initially presented as this villainous character, but then we see her softer side where she's taking care of people and we're supposed to sympathize with her because of that. But I just didn't feel that sympathy or any reason to want to feel sympathy towards her side of the story because ultimately Ashitaki is sort of like this traveler who's just like for much of the film just observing and and we're seeing things from his perspective as a sort of a neutral character in this war but I was so frustrated that his thing was constantly like no violence let's just be at peace when really what's occurred here is that this group of humans has come into this area depleted of its resources and now in order to get more is just trying to destroy this forest in through whatever means possible and we're supposed to like have sympathy towards both sides here and in the end when they are sort of at peace the nature just comes back and there's like it's just like both sides are just going to move on as if nothing happened when one side from my point of view was clearly the aggressor and that was the humans who've done irreparable harm to the environment that's going to take years and years to like come back and fix Mm -hmm. i also think it's interesting at the end because i've been doing some reading you know when kind of nature takes over and lady aboshi is there and i think ashitaka comes up to her and she says oh um, like she feels very remorseful, it sounds like maybe from w- what she did. And she says, oh, I'll build a better town. And I think it's a little bit unclear whether she means, OK, we'll build a new a new town that's kind of one with nature, that's not as exploitative. Or does it mean she's just going to do the whole thing over again and make it bigger <laughs> and better and with more vengeance? And I kind of read some things that some people think it's the former and some people think it's the latter. And I'm curious what if you two, what your interpretation of that ending was. I think that whatever she's going to do to rebuild is not going to be enough to repair the harms that she's already caused. Like ultimately they like if they're rebuilding Irontown, they're rebuilding a city that has already depleted the resources that it needs to thrive, um, because that seems to be the only thing the city is designed to do. And if it is going to continue um, to do that, it it needs to be taking more from the land, and I I just don't see a way that she can come back unless she is doing something to actively give back to the environment to help it rebuild. Um, I'm not optimistic for the future of Iron Town. You kind of take the the stance of San, like Princess Mononoke, because I think her view at the end, uh, and I've also read some things that agree with this mm-hmm. where she's kind of nihilistic <laughs> like she yeah. and then she says i hate the humans i'll never forgive them for what they did and she goes back into the woods and i'm not sure joe when you say you're supposed to empathize with lady aboshi i'm not sure if that's entirely true i think they try to complicate her character uh so that she's not just mm-hmm. you know like a disney villain <laughs> where there's no redeemable qualities but i really think that you're not supposed to be on her side you know i think that you feel like Mm -hmm. when she gets her arm bitten off like that's very justified that her town should be destroyed i think you're supposed to be on the side of the forest spirits and i will say and maybe this is sort of tainted by all the different podcasts i listen to is that like broadly other people who are talking and writing about her that i like seem to be like sympathetic towards her side of the story and feel like that that was a good positive thing and that's what I disagree with. Oh, and the idea that like, I think that we're also supposed to see bad in the nature side that like their sort of aggressive tendencies we're supposed to see as like bad parts. But I'm like, yeah, you deserve to be angry. 
like mm-hmm. um like you're like the boars who are yeah. like we're gonna go fight and some of the things that we're supposed to like appreciate about lady eboshi i think are kind of frustrating as well uh, and like make me question for example her her thing about the sex workers that she's like purchasing from brothels and then bringing to her place like we're supposed to commend her for that uh which uh, to me is like sort of a questionable view of sex workers first of all and 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 what they do and maybe perhaps she does actually give them a better life than they had before but better doesn't necessarily mean good because she's brought them and really everyone else the lepers and um, the other people in this town to a factory town where their sort of well-being um, depends on them working and and yeah they get as much food as they want but they're just in this like industrial capitalist production where they have to work these women have to work four day shifts doing hard physical labor that's I, and to me, I have to wonder, like, is that really better? Like, do we really need, get to congratulate Lady Eboshi for doing that for these women? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. And there is a line where uh, I think it's maybe Toki or one of the the women who works in the factory. She does say, this is hard work. Like, we're tired. But I think at the same time, the way that they portray it, at least in the movie, is they the women seem pretty empowered in this town. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a city that's not only has a female leader, but kind of the women run the show, right? Like they're, I think even the men sometimes say something about like, oh, the women here are really, they say whatever they want or, you know, which I think mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to show that that's not uh, typical in their in the society that they live in. Yeah. I like the portrayal of like the individual women, I think was cool and, and empowered, but sort of the general concept of like saving women from these brothels to bring them to a place where they're just going to do hard heavy labor um, and they can't really leave or do anything else like they're sort of trapped here yeah i i see your points i had similar idea thoughts when there's that scene where they're like working really hard <laughs> and they're like sweating and they're just like oh this is a lot of work it's like oh okay you just came here to be exploited again you know and but i i don't know for sure right yeah i guess sort of the other frustrating view of that is that in order to be successful or in order to like for Lady Eboshi in order to be a leader or for these women in order to be empowered they have to be doing masculine things like um, they have to be doing labor in order to be empowered Lady Eboshi has to get her power and strength from going out and killing things um, and causing violence and she has to sort of hide her like quiet nice feminine stuff which she only shows to people in more intimate smaller settings um i don't like that either but i kind of interpreted that as that's who she is Mm. like she is assertive she is aggressive she is a leadership type yeah i wasn't sure because she was so in those smaller more intimate moments she was so loving and caring with her people Mm mm-hmm and I don't think she's hiding it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Tiana. I think that's just kind of like who she's supposed to be. I do think the concept of gender is really interesting. And I think Studio Ghibli movies are really interesting in how they kind of like play with gender and they kind of subvert certain uh, mm-hmm. things. And actually, as kind of a side note, but I don't know if either of you listened to the uh, to the movie in Japanese with the English subs. 
But the voices in a lot of the Japanese versions, like say there's a, f- a female character, they'll have like a male voice or vice versa. Hmm. And so, for example, in this one, um, Moro, which is like the wolf god, who's kind of a mother figure, in the English version has a woman's voice. But in the Japanese version, it's actually a man, a male, I believe, actor who's like very famous for being a drag queen, um, but identifies as a man. And so I think those are interesting. And and more to the point of Lady Eboshi, I looked this up and this was on like uh, <laughs> the Ghibli wiki and also Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt. But apparently the outfit that she wears, and I don't know Japanese, so I might be butchering the name, but Ashira Bioshi, which was an outfit that female dancers wore in kind of like the Middle Ages, mostly like 1100s in Japan. And they were female dancers, but they were dressed as men, which I think is interesting if that's true. Yet her part of her look is very feminine, right? She's got the bright red lipstick. She has kind of like a bow or a ribbon in her hair that's pink. So I think that they're trying to play a little bit with her gender there. And she has some masculine elements and she has some feminine elements as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so those are, those are sort of my grievances with the film and but i i wanted to bring them up specifically because i felt there was such a lack of nuance in what i was reading about Mm. this movie and it was so hard to find anything sort of critical because it is so beloved and that really frustrated me so that's that's why i was so excited to like talk about these things but there were a lot of things i loved about the film i mean some of the animation is really uh, beautiful and creepy. There's some like beautifully creepy moments, like when the boar is covered in those demon leech worm things, and then near the end when the people have like skinned the boars and they're like hiding underneath them. That was like such a creepy, cool sequence. And the fact that there are these sort of interesting levels to dissect uh, sort of speaks to something about the writing of the film that is worthwhile and valuable. It's so interesting because this film is so gray <laughs> and so are the characters and that aligns with a lot of Miyazaki's films like a lot of characters aren't just good or bad or feminine or masculine or yeah it, there's just a lot of complexity yeah. in each of them and then like at the end it's vague and I did want to say about the ending I didn't really notice that until I rewatched it too that at the end Lady Iboshi just says something like oh, we're going to make a better town. But then she didn't expand on what that meant. And I was like, what do you mean, woman? Like, I was kind of like yelling at the screen a little bit, like, say more, (laughs) explain, please. But I was a little bit more optimistic because she had witnessed a really intense consequence of what happens when you don't respect nature and the animal gods. I just can't picture many people being like, oh, the entire town got destroyed and we almost all died because of the black ooze from something that I did. And then they don't make it better and they don't change. You know, I just feel like that's such a big event that can make her change her mind and can make her decide to do something better with the town. And make it into something that doesn't harm nature in the same to the same degree. I don't know if you can ever make a town mm-hmm. that doesn't have at least some Im- some negative impact on nature. But Well, I think you can. I think sort of the the argument against that would be that like there were and you could argue this as well that like the indigenous communities um in this case like the one that Ashitaka was from were sort of living in what do you call it? 
like more harmoniously yes, with nature. Yeah. yeah. I think at the end, though, Ashitaka plans to stay with the Iron Town because he can't go back to his own village as per the rituals and the beliefs, right? It's like yeah. once he leaves, he can't come back. And so my understanding was at the end he planned to stay there because his view is is very much on the side of like, let's live in harmony with nature. I imagine that his presence would have an influence on Lady Eboshi's decisions and how Iron Town was reformed as well. Hopefully. Hopefully. I think it has, like, the ending, while it is ambiguous, I think it has a hopeful feel at the end. Mm. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of the movie is just like, this is what raw hatred looks like and what it can do to you. And at the end, there's, like you said, everything kind of, like, flourishes and it's growing again. And whether or not you think that was a good ending, I think it's a hopeful (laughs) ending is what they were going Mm. for. I don't know if Lady Eboshi deserves a second chance. She's already killed two forest gods and that didn't slow her down. So even, even if she learned her lesson, I'm just not sure if if she gets to do the job <laughs> again. Mm. Like how many chances do you get before um, there's a bunch of other people like uh, like Taki, maybe she could try leading and maybe she'd do a better job. I don't know. I thought Lady Eboshi was a bad, bad woman. Um, and <laughs> now I'm going to try to empathize with her the rest <laughs> of this episode. That's good to know. That's good to know. We need a devil's advocate, right? Yeah. Life, life is about texture, and if we don't have difference in opinions, then what are we really doing here? Yeah. Hmm. Back to you, Tiana. So let's talk about the part where she does shoot off the head of the forest spirit. Okay. okay. I keep saying, like, shoot off the head, and that feels really disrespectful. I feel like <laughs> that, that's she factually decapitated him deceased. <laughs> Uh, one, okay, I guess this kind of supports Joe's point a little bit, is that one thing that Lady Eboshi does as a leader that's not very good is she's about to kill the forest spirit, but then Ashitaka is like, OMG, your town is getting invaded by samurai right now. You need to go back. You have to. And she's like, no, they can handle it. Which... I guess you can look at it in both good and bad ways, right? Like, I trained my women. I know they can handle it. I'm not just some dude who's going to say, no, they can't do it, so I'm going to be their lord and savior. They can do it themselves. But then she also kind of leaves them high and dry. So Right, which you also see at the beginning, right? It's like one of yeah. the first scenes of, of Lady Eboshi is when they're, they're, I think they're bringing rice or something back to mm-hmm. Iron Town, and then Princess Mononoke and... Her, the forest spirits they come and attack and a bunch of men like fall off the cliff or they're injured or whatever and someone is mm-hmm. like oh should we go back for them and she's like hell no we're going home we're gonna eat we're taking whoever is there and then of course right. when Ashitaka brings them back she's like oh thank you I'm so sorry that I left you guys there to die and bleed out it's all good <laughs> yeah I mean they she's did... very single minded yeah, yeah they, yes. they did fall off a cliff to be on her side here, because that's what I'm trying to do now. Joe, you the flip episode. sides. I yeah. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to empathize. Is that like if she had brought everyone back to try to rescue those dudes who were probably going to be dead? Like if Ashitaki hadn't saved them, they mm-hmm. probably would have died by the time they got rescued. Then she potentially could have been attacked again and lost more people. So she maybe made the difficult but necessary decision to help save the rest of the group and get the rice back to feed the entire village. Yeah. And would she get this much criticism if she were a male leader too? No, a a male leader would have been like... Would have been like, eh, leave them. (laughs) And then they wouldn't even said they're sorry. They would have been like, eh. Every man for himself. Everyone would be like, that's perfectly normal. (laughs) 
he's a strong yeah. man that we can respect for making hard choices. Yeah. And she is respected. Like, you know, mm-hmm. for all the criticisms, criticisms we have of her, it seems like the people of the town really at least respect her and admire her. You know, I'm not sure if that's out of obligation or fear or what the situation is, but you don't really hear anyone speak poorly of her. And in fact, when Ashitaka knocks her out when she and Sen are fighting, they're furious at him, right? They want to kill him for, mm-hmm. they're like, you can't do this to our lady. I think they say that. And so they, they're very um, protective of her. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I complain about her sort of savior thing with the sex workers and then putting them into a different kind of uh, heavy labor, they do seem to genuinely love her. As much as I'm complaining about it, I'm probably wrong. Right. And also, if we were to take the information about her clothing being uh, the clothing of these women who used to do like dancing for men, from what I understood from what I was reading is that these, these women are kind of like geisha. And so if that is the clothing that was portrayed on her, she was probably like in a position that wasn't all that different from theirs. And, you know, she found working in this town and creating this iron and this kind of factory system to be beneficial for her. So perhaps that's how she's looking at it for these women as well. Yeah. So after the forest spirit is decapitated, a black ooze that kills anything that touches it erupts from the forest spirit's body. Well, it starts actually destroying Irontown, and it almost kills the people in Irontown, but they get out in time. The people flee. Ashitaka and San then have to give back the head to the forest spirit so that the ooze stops and to restore the forest spirit. The forest spirit still dies but the ooze stops after getting the head. And the forest spirit, I guess, lives in the nature and in everything. The ending is bittersweet. The forest spirit dies. The way it's known dies, but then yet it's living in everything. Did you get that mm-hmm. sense? That's the only way I can wrap my head around that all the plant life immediately came back. <laughs> yeah. So many layers in this film. I really felt it was, you know, about conflict between nature and humans, as well as the need for Mm -hmm. harmony. Between them, the humans want to take away the forest, the animal gods want to fight back, war, chaos, and destruction ensues among both, and the conflict has potential to destroy both. Yeah. And so for the the remainder of the episode, we thought we would sort of delve into maybe a little bit more personal stuff, but with questions kind of guided by themes um, and, and things that happened in the movie, but specifically around Lady Eboshi, who we're here to empathize with today. Annie, do you want to kick us off here with uh, your question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when Lady Eboshi is fighting San slash Princess Mononoke in Iron Town, she warns her warriors, cut off a wolf's head and it still has the power to bite. Yet towards the end of the movie, she seems to kind of forget this. Because when she shoots off the head of the wolf god Moro, the head then comes back and bites off her arm. And so she seems to have completely forgotten this advice. And so I'm wondering if there is a time when you forgot your own advice and it came back to bite you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the time. (laughs) Um, Actually, just yesterday, I was talking to a friend about their relationship and they're kind of going through a little bit of a bumpy patch where they've asked their partner to do some things and their partner doesn't really seem to be listening or wanting to make a change. And they're like very like hopeful about things getting better in the future. And they're like trying to figure out what to do about it. And my advice is very much like, or was like, you need to live 
in the relationship that you're in right now, not the relationship that you want to be in later on. Um, and that like your relationship only is what it is right now. And you have to decide like, do you want to stay in that and then work towards something better? Or do you want to get out of it because it's not something that you're happy with? So, and, and I've given that advice to actually a few different friends over the past year in their relationships that I've talked to, but I find that it is advice that I am really bad at making myself or really bad at taking because I get so anxious. And so in the past, when I've been in relationships, that's like, I'm always constantly thinking about the future and what's ahead and like what I want it to be or what I'm hoping for. And I have such a hard time living in the moment, but it is the advice that I end up giving just about anybody who is having any trouble with anything. That's like my, my go-to advice that I <laughs> rarely take myself. My piece of advice is a little bit similar. It's not originally my own, but I've carried it with me and kind of taken it as my own and passed it on to some people who might be interested in it. It's a little dark, but sometimes to help you understand the importance of humans in your life and to, like Joe said, pay attention to the moment, you can pretend that you time traveled back in time from the future and to the now. And in the future, you pretend, okay, that in the future, where you've came from, this person that you're with in the now is not around anymore. I, I told you it's going to be dark, but maybe in the future they left or they died or they're just somewhere else or they're, they're just not with you anymore, um, whether this be a friend, a partner or family member, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you've come from the future and traveled back in time to the present moment that you're in. And in that moment, you're with that person and that person is still around like crazy. When you do this, you kind of start to appreciate the human that you're with. The moment might even become more special, even though it might be kind of mundane on the surface. So like, oh, I'm, I'm with you now. So I need to really enjoy it and pay attention to the present moment with this person because there could be a time in the future when this person is not with me anymore or not around me, right? And then it kind of puts things in perspective and might even help you just be with that person. And so I think, you know, it's hard to apply this advice to every single interaction. It's helpful in certain instances. So like there was a time I didn't really apply this when I should have. I was like arguing with uh, my partner in Walmart about like the price of potato chips. He didn't like that. I wanted to buy a bag of chips that were like $2 more than like the other kind of chips. And I was mad that he was mad about just $2. And it was this whole thing. Oh, they're just both potato chips, right? Why would you not get the cheaper ones? See, <laughs> but I, Joe, I like the other again. kind. All right. Because all right, I sorry, like the sorry, other continue. kind of... No, no. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And I see your point. I really do. I'm like pointing strangely at the screen. But I was just like, but I like that other kind better. So like, why, why can't I just cost benefit analysis. cough up two more dollars, you know? But it was like, but then it became this whole thing like, oh, why don't you pay attention to the prices more? Why can't you? And why are you so uh, demanding about two dollars? And uh, anyway, <laughs> it was not as dramatic as I'm making it seem. But if I had just like taken advice, taken that advice I would have just remembered that the petty things really aren't important. 
All right. I would have appreciated our time together in Walmart and just dropped the argument because there could be a time when one of us is not around each other anymore to even argue about these types of petty things. Like I said, it's dark, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, does this really matter? Um, maybe I, I just need to appreciate and enjoy the time spent with this person. Yeah, I love it. You you both took very like deep deep examples uh, that are very personal, relationship-based. I took this in a very different direction. Uh, a piece of advice that I have given other people and I try to tell myself is just to always like listen to your body and when you are at the point of exhaustion, stop. And I often don't follow that advice. And so I have a specific memory in college when there was a trip that was put on to go to Sky Zone with a bunch of my friends. And so I went to Sky Zone and I was just jumping, jumping, jumping. If you don't know Sky Zone, it's a big like trampoline park. And so I was jumping and I felt my legs <laughs> very fatigued and like, I don't know, I wasn't feeling great, but I was like, I'm having fun. So I'm going to keep going. And so we were there for hours. And then I came back and the next day I couldn't walk <gasps> and my knee f didn't work. <laughs> and <laughs> and it felt terrible. And then I just never went to the doctor about it. and. I like let it heal because I couldn't really move for a couple of days. And then I just continued to run on it and it really messed up my knee and it took like a year and a half to two years to fully recover, I would say. And so, oh yeah, the, I should have followed that my own advice to, how to long, take a break. How long did it take it. to recover? I mean, I was able to walk on it and do everyday things, but it hurt and I like wore a brace on it for probably like two years. Wow. So, oh my gosh. Be careful. What yeah. an intense consequence yeah that was one of the first moments too where i was like i guess that i'm not uh like immortal <laughs> like i am i'm aging and my body will not uh it can't just right on 100 percent power all the time anymore that was a great example actually because unlike mine and tiana's uh sort of rambling emotional thing like we normally <laughs> do it was a very tangible clear example so thank you for that answer well, we need all different types, yes. right? Texture. And, and I know contrast. you two have questions too. Yeah, yeah. Tiana, I think you've got a question now. Yeah. All right. So Lady Iboshi said, I'm going to show you how to kill a god, a god of life and death. The trick is not to fear him. Regardless of whether it was a good idea, when was a time you decided to not fear something much greater than yourself? I think for me... There was a time, I think it was middle school. So I'm in Austin now, but I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, which is the frozen tundra in the winter. Oh, yeah. And so we have, because you guys are both in the Midwest too, right? I'm in Maine. I'm from South, yeah, I'm from the Midwest. South Dakota's <laughs> in the Midwest, right? South Dakota's definitely in the Midwest, yes. But both Joe and I went to school in Fargo, Moorhead, so. Okay, cool. So you know, you're familiar. Yes. Yep. So as you know, we have blizzard days sometimes when it is blizzarding and snow is falling everywhere and it's cold and it's really dangerous to go out mm -hmm. in a blizzard. But we had off school and I was in middle school and I was like, well, I just really want to go to my friend's house. She lived about a block and a half away, like really, really close, straight shot. So I was like, I'm just going to walk over there. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. Like you're really not supposed to go outside. But I was like, ah, nature, I can take it. And you're Fargonian, you can take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I bundled up and I went outside and it was beautiful. Like if you've never been in that much snow, like it's just ethereal. Like you feel like you're on another planet. But the, the streets, everything was just like blanketed in like snow. It went up to my waist. And so 
first of all, that's just like wild. It's like nature just like overtook everything. Like this town, it could just cover this town instantly. And I started walking and I thought I was going straight because it was just down the block. And I was walking for what felt like hours. Like it took so long to like trudge through the snow. And then I looked behind me and I couldn't see anything, but I could see my footsteps had not gone in a straight line, like not even close. And I was like meandering and like had gone really, really crooked. It was really scary. I was like, this is how people die because they walk out into a blizzard and then you like collapse or you like get lost and then you can't find your way back. Thankfully, I did make it to my friend's house. She wasn't that much farther away, but that was like a moment where I was like, wow, nature is powerful and I should not mess with it. Mm. That's especially so fitting because it's like the gods of nature gonna take you in you. I, I actually have a similar example to that. Um, when I was in early high school, I was just experiencing so, 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 so much FOMO, fear of missing out. And I really, really wanted to go to this get together slash kind of party, like when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And it was at this house that was also in the countryside, like my house is. And I decided to take my car, bundle up and like actually drive there during a blizzard. And I just like slid into the ditch and just let the snow catch me. So there's that one. The other example that I have, I live out in the country right now, can get really dark. You hear a lot of coyotes um, and a lot of critters. I recently just decided to not be very scared of the night. That seems weird. But like what Lady Boshi is not fearing is a god that takes away life and gives life. And I chose not to fear the night because in the night life is taken away right in the night coyotes kill cats kill people kill bears kill mosquitoes spread west nile virus and like you could say the night is like an accomplice in taking life away it's also like much bigger than myself you have the stars the planets the vastness the darkness right you hear like the coyotes howling in the dark and recently i just have been going out at night with nothing and just experiencing it and like standing there for like hours, um, especially because my cat is there. And I was like, well, my cat doesn't seem to be very scared. So why should I? Might not always be a good idea, but it is what I decided. And I've had a lot of interesting moments with the stars. Any scary moments where you're like, oh, there are sometimes coyotes that start freaking out and howling, but it's a little comforting because I mean, I don't know how coyotes in a pack respond to humans, so there's that concern, but usually a single coyote is afraid of humans, from what I know, right? But I don't know that for sure. Like, I, a coyote could do anything, and a coyote can have rabies, you know? So, like, sometimes a coyote will be like, coyotes will start, but they are a predator for my cat, so I start, like, howling or yelling back at them, and then they stop. So I like chew them out with howls. The coyotes are kind of small, right? They're, they yeah. just look like cute dogs. So. Yeah, but they can probably bite. Yeah, they're unlikely yeah. to attack a person unless there's yeah. like unusual circumstances. But right, legitimately scary for your cat because that, yes, that is yes much higher on the probability scale. Yeah. Yeah. And the rabies thing. I used to, our house used to get mice into it. And so I remember when oh, wow. I was like, like, I would just pick up the mice. Like I'd catch them with my hands. 
my bare hands, and I'd let them outside. And I was just like, well, if a a mouse bites you, it doesn't hurt that bad, right? Like, it's fine. Right. But then I learned about rabies Mm. and that there's, like, really no cure for it, and it's pretty terrible death. And so then I stopped doing that. Well, you know, about half a percent of people who get rabies survive, so... Oh, really? Because okay. they immediately well, go to the hospital and get the shot or something. Oh, no, no, no. It, okay. So you pretty much always survive if you get the shot before it reaches your brain. Once it reaches your brain, only about half a percent of people survive. Oh. Oh, okay. It's like wow. 99.95%. But there's no, like, cure for it, right? There's just the this, this shot that helps prevent it from getting there. Yeah. Wh- and then you take the vaccine, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Once, once it's there... Once it hits, it like infects you and then like the infection like crawls slowly up towards your brain. So if you get it before it gets to your brain, you're like almost certainly fine. Once it gets to your brain, you're almost certainly dead. And the reason I know so much about rabies is because about two hours ago, I listened to a Radiolab episode all about rabies. Oh, hey, look at that. So that was just a coincidence. Serendipitous. Do you know if coyotes in a pack would be confident to attack a human? It would be unlikely unless there was like sort of extreme circumstances. So like if they were regularly getting people food, that's sort of the biggest reason that any animal ends up attacking people is because they've been conditioned for human food and they start being willing to take risks that they otherwise wouldn't take. But for the most part... How do you know so much about coyotes? So I... Well, I'm very interested in nature, and I listen to multiple podcasts that are about animal attacks. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, and just for whatever reason, coincidentally, right now, multiple issues that are surrounding podcasts I've listened to recently are coming up. I'm not typically an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. You could become a veterinarian and then get like a yearly rabies vaccine yeah i probably couldn't become a veterinarian those things are expensive because my my sister is she works at a wildlife refuge in colorado and she has to get that and they're not cheap and you have to keep getting them yeah but i bet you feel pretty protected when you're in that field which is nice so yeah thankfully my mom is vaccinated against rabies so if she sees a rabid coyote i'll just tell my mom hey go punch that Anywho, Joe, I want to know your answer. Did you ask answer? Um, no, but I guess for me, I also was in the Midwest for a while, but I moved to Maine a little over five years ago with my partner at the time. We broke up after like a year and a half here, and I hadn't bothered to make any friends while we were together. So then we broke up and I had basically no friends. And then I slowly over a couple of years got like a small little friend group. But this past year, I turned 30. And I was like, this is the year that I am like going to make an effort to be like emotionally open to like other people and other experiences. So that was sort of the fear that I overcame is that I'm like very shy and anxious. And it's really hard for me to come out of my little bubble. And so that is what I've been working on this year. And I've been like, when I'm meeting people that seem cool, I've been really making an effort to ask them to hang out. And it's been really, really hard and really uncomfortable for me. But I'm slowly like learning that it's okay to do that. um, And that actually people like when you do that, because most people seems like around our age are also looking for friends. Because it's hard to make friends after college, I think. It is. Very true. 
that's the the fear that I'm uh, working on overcoming. And my question is like very much sort of related in in the same vein, but sort of in a more theoretical sense. I wanted to know your thoughts on whether or not eliminating your fear is really useful. How useful is it actually a problem? So like in my example, overcoming that fear was really beneficial, but in some ways, like Annie, your sort of lack of fear going into the blizzard ultimately could have caused you a lot of harm. Um, so what, what kind of a role do you feel that fear plays in your decision-making and how much emphasis do you give it? And just your general thoughts. That's a good question. I think you need to have some lack of fear, maybe not like 0%, but I think you need to get rid of some of your fear in doing a task because if you're nervous and doing the task, you might not be as effective in accomplishing it. So like when Lady Eboshi is going to shoot the forest spirit, right? If she would have been nervous or scared, she probably would have missed her her target because her hands are shaking from being anxious and nervous about it. So or like you, Joe, like if you meet someone and you want to ask them, oh, do you want to hang out? If you're like, do you want to hang out with me? <laughs> um, it might not be very effective in complete, completing that task. So you either need to get rid of the fear more or you need to try and fake it better so yeah getting rid of the fear i think helps you in like doing the task a lot of times and i'm not saying bring it down to zero percent but definitely less than 100 yeah like it's important to recognize i guess when fear is useful or sort of that idea which my therapist talks about a lot is that like all emotions are useful like anxiety fear mm -hmm depression, right. like all of them serve a purpose, but it's like how much of each one is appropriate for the situation that you're in is sort of what you have to contend with often. For sure. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with both of you. Um, I just looked this up because I wanted to attribute this. So there's this quote that I like, and it's do the thing you fear the most. And it's, of course, attributed to Mark Twain, which 50% <laughs> of all quotes are attributed to. Uh, but I think for me, as someone who's like a more naturally cautious person, and I, I, I will take risks, but I'm very calculated in taking risks, and I don't tend to do things spontaneously. Sometimes it's good for me to kind of like throw caution to the wind and uh, see what I can accomplish if I don't overthink it. Uh, and so one example of that was in college, we had a language requirement. So I took Spanish. And for I think it was the second Spanish class I took, or the third, because we had to take four semesters of it. Uh, there was an opportunity to take it in Costa Rica, and it was an immersion program. So you stay with a host family. You're speaking Spanish the whole time. Uh, it's a very immersive experience. And like I was nervous about it, but I didn't think about it too hard. I was like, yeah, like being in Costa Rica over January sounds really fun. I had heard of some people who were interested in going, and the professor seemed really cool. Uh, and I had seen that quote recently. I think it was on like a bathroom stall door. Someone had read it or something. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And so then I got there and I realized I don't know Spanish and I was really terrified and my host family didn't speak any English. And I was like, holy crap, what am I going to do? 
And then it ended up being really great. And I got really close to my host family and I didn't really know anyone on the trip. So I made friends and my Spanish improved drastically because it was a sink or swim situation. Uh, and so I think that's a situation where I was like, okay, it was really good of me to have just gone for it and then put in the work to make it work, right? To meet people and to practice the language and get immersed in the in the culture. And then on the other hand, I think it is important, like we have fear for a reason, right? And that's to help us to... <laughs> Uh, have some caution, and it can also help us prepare things. So I know I had a professor who would always say, like, introverts actually tend to, this is according to him, he's an introvert, to be better public speakers because they over-prepare for things, whereas someone who can just, you think of someone who can just, like, is extroverted and just jump in and give a great speech, that's great, but then if someone asks them a question that they're unprepared for, then they might stumble a little more, whereas, like, someone who's more afraid of public speaking, they will have prepared every single possibility um and so hmm. you know i think it, it depends on, on the yeah, situation like i love public speaking and people always like question that because they're always like but you're always talking about how shy and anxious you are like <laughs> what are you doing on stage but that's exactly it is that my anxious mind is constantly running through like all the possible scenarios of what could happen so i'm like pre-prepared for um, a lot of different situations to occur Indeed. I'm trying to work on getting rid of more fear and just like letting it go, but I'll let you know how it goes. I think it's just doing the thing. Just go for it, even yeah. if your voice shakes. Well, next time you are fearful, you can manifest Lady Eboshi with her gun <laughs> yeah. and take that energy into your situation. It's so interesting how I think Lady Eboshi feels that she's as great as a god. Or greater. Isn't that so fascinating? Like that's why she has why she's so confident in shooting down gods and shooting the forest spirit. Like she's like, I'm as good as a god. I'm greater than that. It, does she think I'm as good as a god or does she think the gods just aren't that great? Maybe that. It's just sense. She's like, uh, they're just, you know, they're there. I Yeah. I don't know if she reveres them. And like, then I was like, what good is a god if they die? Are they even that great? Philosophical questions. Yeah, you're right. She's probably just like, eh, they're not that great. Anywho, does anything does anyone else have anything to add about Lady Eboshi before we get into our spicy segment? No. I mean I don't. Okay. I'm excited for the spice. Well, it's a little silly and spicy. So we're gonna share Tinder profiles for Lady Eboshi and pretend that Lady Eboshi is gonna date and needs a Tinder profile. So we've written some for her. So each one of us has our own Tinder profile for Lady Eboshi. On Spotify, you can vote whichever Tinder, Tinder bio you like best. Yeah, I'll make a little graphic for each of them so we can post them on Instagram. And then you can go like them on Instagram to vote for who you think is the best as well. So you could like on Instagram or you could vote on Spotify. Yes. Or you could just email us at nextdoorvillain at gmail.com. Or you can call me at and tell me which one you love. What's your number, Tiana, for the public? Two, one, eight. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Who's going first here? Annie is the guest. Annie should go first. All right, here it goes. So her profile name is The Iron Lady. She's 31, 6'2", factory owner, and self-elected mayor of Irontown. I'm not <laughs> actually sure how she got elected. Tall Dom, a natural-born leader who dislikes nature. 
Interested in women only. Past experience desired. Willing to pay. I like hunting, knife fighting, and caring for lepers. I dislike wild animals, walks through the woods, and incompetence. They say God is dead. You can thank me for that. Swipe left if you're a tree-hugging vegan. Very good. I took a quite a different approach because I I thought about why Lady Aboshi would be on Tinder and what her feelings toward it would be. And I think that she wouldn't really care about it that much, that it would be sort of like a flippant thing that she does when she's bored, almost just for her own fun or pleasure. And I didn't think she would put a lot of time and energy into her profile, that she would do something sort of dark and flirty, but just wouldn't put a lot of effort into it. So I I wrote one very simple line. Um, Her profile says, I don't trust men, so I tie them up. And then that little purple devil emoji. (laughs) Nice. I like it. Gets to the point. I'd probably swipe right on that. Not sure if she would swipe right on me, but that's another story. Okay. Anywho. (laughs) uh, Mine is name, Lady Iboshi. Age. My age doesn't matter if I live forever. Her bio is... I produce the iron and steel, baby. Do you think I could steal you? (laughs) Come and create demons, I mean babies, with me. We'll eat some good rice porridge as we sit overlooking the smoke. Ugh, sorry about that. I'm very sorry. What am I looking for? A way into the forest. A way into prosperity. Come shoot down the barriers to our expansion with me. Tiana, I like how you and I, without collaborating, we end up coming up with like some very similar formatted things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the first and last Tinder profile I'll ever write. Same. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe that's why we wrote ours. Like we did, we don't know what we're doing. So I looked up examples. Oh, yeah, me too. It's so open. That's one thing I feel like at like older dating sites it's kind of more prescribed like how you format it but for tinder it's like so wide open and people get really really creative which is the fun thing about it um some some of them are like one-liners like joe's there's like longer things there's some of them are very dependent on the photo too Mm. that that are there right so that's interesting Hmm. yeah so again you can go vote on spotify or on instagram by liking our tinder profiles our fake tinder profiles that i'm going to post on there um but we got to end our episode like we always do nowadays by rating our villain tiana what should we rate our villain with today um forest spirit heads or women no uh guns Iron ore. I don't know what that looks like, though. I don't know what actual iron ore looks like. All right. So how many how many buckets of iron ore (laughs) out of five do you give the lady Eboshi? Is this like how evil she is, or like how interesting of a character she is? I'll I'll go first, Annie, so you can see how it's done, and then you can do whatever you want. Um, I'm gonna give Lady Eboshi. Four and a half buckets of iron out of five 
The reason is because I think I think um, as a villain, she's done a really good job overall as someone who like the environment is like to me really important. I think that she has sort of indiscriminately gone into nature just to destroy it for her own personal gain, even though she like, I guess is sort of a savior to these like women and lepers. Um, I'm not sure her motivations are that pure because she's really um, using their uh, love and labor to advance her own wealth and power status. And she kills one forest god and she almost kills another if anything i'm taking half a bucket of iron away because she didn't succeed in killing the second forest god despite all her confidence and uh sexy villain power so for those reasons four and a half buckets of iron for lady aboshi from me okay i'm gonna give her three buckets of iron ore out of five i like her i like her laugh I think it's very pretty and nice. So yeah, I think I'm kind of. Oh, oh I was just just gonna tell you, it's it's sort of your the rating doesn't really matter. It's sort of your like summary, I guess, uh, in mm-hmm. a sense. Sort of like whose line is it anyway? Where the the points don't matter, and I don't know what other part of that is. Maybe you guys haven't seen <laughs> but that. The That's laughter not does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll pick a random number, which is what I plan to do anyway. Um, I'm gonna go right in between you guys to play it safe. I'm going to go with uh, four, four out of five uh, buckets of iron ore. Uh, I think she has a lot of qualities of a good villain. She's very single-minded. She can be pretty ruthless sometimes in her goals and ignore the other people around her. I think that she does lack in some pure villain qualities. Uh, She seems to be able to express remorse. Uh, I don't really think she has henchmen per se. Like She has other people who work in the town, but it's not really like uh, she doesn't have these like sidekicks who are like would do anything for her. I don't think. Although I don't know the the women of the town are were pretty loyal to her. So yeah, talk talky would do anything for her. I think. Yeah, I I don't know if I describe them as henchmen, but there's that. But yeah, I think she's a really cool character. I like her her grayness, and yeah, I also like her laugh, Tiana. Yeah. Um, I like in the English version, she's the only one who has a British accent. So that's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. I, I my new favorite thing because growing up when I watched the Studio Ghibli's I always I I mostly listen to like the like Kiki's Delivery Service and uh, or watch Kiki's Delivery Service and like Totoro's like the lighter ones but I always listen to them in English and so now it's fun to like rewatch them in Japanese and notice differences uh, and then also to watch ones like Princess Mononoke that are a little bit darker. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's I guess I guess that's it. And this is this has been one of our longer episodes so i hope people stuck around for the end because annie uh i was hoping you could one more time give a plug for your podcast which we really love yeah sure so podcast is misfits it's probably easiest to search um if you're searching on spotify or apple Podcasts, misfits with annie prafke p-r-a-f-c-k-e uh, you can also find us on social media like Instagram and Twitter at ACXP Misfits. And yeah, it's really great. I think kind of like you said, it does a little bit similar things to Next Door Villains where we're uh, just trying to talk to people from different walks of life and understand where they come from. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't want to search for Annie's podcast, you can just go in the show notes of this episode and there'll just be a link right there so you can hop right over after you're done listening to this episode. All the info. Beautiful. 
So yeah, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>